Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, hey, everybody. It's... uh... Great to be with you on a Sunday evening, and uh, we are going to be bringing to a conclusion after that great time of worship, uh, we are going to be bringing uh, to a conclusion uh, this uh, six-week study uh, called Promises, Promises, uh, based upon uh, the book of 2 Peter and its opening phrase, which says that God has uh, given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the scriptures and actually studying, uh, you know, what those promises actually are, because everybody knows that God's made promises, uh, but not as many people really understand where they are. In fact, this closing message is going to review the five promises, give five more promises, and uh, ask you actually to be more like a workshop than a sermon, because I'm going to ask you to actually write some things down in your Bible so that when this preacher stops talking, you're going to have the content at your fingertips, not only to uh, bless and help and strengthen your faith, but also to help you help others keep going. I, uh, I want to talk about my first crush ever, ever. Everybody knows I love my wife. That's not a secret I've tried to keep, but I just want to tell you she wasn't my first love. My first love was a girl named Karen. And um, I was a little Baptist boy, and she was Pentecostal. Woo! It was, I mean, that for a little Baptist boy, that was out there. And I used to, uh, she was at my same school as me, and I, I used to kind of follow her home. And, and I was always kind of keeping an eye on her. And this would be like fifth grade, sixth grade. I remember either in, maybe it was seventh grade, she asked me, kind of blew my mind, I'd hardly ever even talked to her, but she asked me if I, she apparently had some connection with Youth for Christ, and uh, she asked me if I wanted to be part of leading a little kind of walkathon where, so we went to a meeting, and I got on the bus with her, we went downtown, and I mean, I got to tell you, I couldn't have cared less about this walkathon, I couldn't have cared less about reading my, uh, raising any money for Youth for Christ. I was all about spending the time with this girl. So we get to this meeting to learn about it, and they give us all these forms, and we're supposed to go back to our school and recruit all these kids to go on this walkathon where they raise money. Now, here's the fine print. It was 26 miles. I was at least 26 miles away from having any idea how far 26 miles was. And I can just tell you, we walked it all in one day, and I was like, one mile, two miles, five miles. It was, I mean, I think my lunch was gone by like mile six. And, and I can tell you, by the time we got up into the high teens and the twenties, we were like those people in those marathons, you know, where people are coming out and giving them bottles of water. We, this was back before there even were bottles of water. So I don't remember what they were giving us exactly, but we were just like, it was crazy how desperate we were just for some sustenance, some relief of some kind to get forward. Now, this pandemic thing's been going on a long time. I don't know how you've been feeling, but it's just been going on for a long time. And if you've been feeling like you're in the 20th mile of the marathon, uh, this is the message for you, all right? I want you to listen in kind of a different way. Even if you're not in the habit of taking notes or writing things down, I want to encourage you to do that because I'm going to move through some things fairly quickly. The goal is, as I said, that when I'm done talking, you'll be able to get your hand on the bottle of water yourself. 
you'll be able to take your, you know, for a lot of people, the Bible's really overwhelming. They're just they're this big book, you know, and where would I find what, what's in there and how would I get to it? That's not going to be a problem for you. If you just spend the next 40 minutes with me, you're really going to have it, okay? You're going to have it yourself and you're going to be able to share it with others. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort that it is, the strength that it is, the blessing that it is. And I pray as we go through these beautiful, wonderful, sustaining, precious promises that you've given to us, they are exceedingly great. And I pray that you would rivet these realities to our hearts and cause your word in our hands to be a tool for the strengthening of our own faith and for the blessing of others. Help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so um, get your Bible and no apologies here. You're going to be turning, 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 turning. You're going to turn 10 times. I want you to turn all 10 times. I want you to write in your Bible. Have you figured out we don't worship the Bible? We learn from it. It's your textbook. So we write in our Bibles. If you were to look at my Bible, you'd see that, I mean, that was Deuteronomy there. Go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy. But my Bible is all marked up on all the pages. Your Bible your Bible's your textbook. Someday I hope all my grandkids will get one of the Bibles that I was blessed to study, usually maybe two or three years at a time. And uh, this one's actually ready to get retired, but I've written some things in it that I want you to write in yours, all right? So Deuteronomy 31 is the first promise, and we've been over these. I will not fear God is always with me. I will not fear God is always with me. Deuteronomy 31, 6, the Lord uh, said to uh, Joshua, Uh, We've been studying the book of Joshua uh, in another teaching, but Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Who's them? Anyone who would cause you to be in fear or dread. Uh, I can't believe she's coming over. Uh, I can't believe we have to talk to them again. What's the government going to do? What's my boss going to do at work? Am I still going to have a job? Whoever you would be afraid of, not, not. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord, that's his covenant name, Yahweh. See it there, all capitalized? Deuteronomy 31, 6. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. If God's on your team, how's it going to work out? Uh, The answer is great. Awesome, actually. And to keep that in mind, When I was uh, teaching this to you a few weeks ago, I quoted Robert Murray McShane's famous quote, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Think of that. Hebrews says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Romans says that he, the Holy Spirit's praying for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And how is the Lord praying today for you, for your faithfulness, for your strength? Jesus said, I have prayed for them that their faith would not fail. John Wesley, my, one of my favorite preachers, uh, said that uh, on his deathbed, he said, best of all, God is with us. So there it is. Now, I see they've pulled away my coffee table here, which maybe they don't like the way I'm moving the furniture around, but I didn't actually get the memo, so I can't be sure. So we're going to just make this couch into the, we're going to make this couch into the canoe for today because I kind of need my canoe illustration. Oh, you're really not supposed to be moving the furniture. I'm still a bit like a guest, so I can kind of claim that I don't understand. And here, here's, the, here's the thing with the canoe, okay? So this is round one. The first promise is, is, The water's choppy, it's level five rapids, 
Write in your Bible over Deuteronomy 31.6, promise number one, I will not fear God is with me. In fact, write in the front of your Bible, God's promises, and then write Deuteronomy 31.6. You're creating a little map, and you'll always be able to find this yourself. In the front of your Bible, God's promises, Deuteronomy 31.6. Then I have written, you can see it here, number one, I have written right here, I want you to know. Number one, I will not fear, God is with me. And then underneath it, I wrote Romans 8, number two, Romans 8, 28. You see? Number two, Romans 8, 28. So you're gonna know where to go. Where's the second promise? It's in Romans 8, 28. Go to the front of my Bible, promises. Go to Deuteronomy 36, number one. I will not fear, God is always with me. Number two, I will not doubt, God is always in control. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, this is a time when we can all be grateful that we're maybe not sitting in rows filled with people because, do you have Romans 8, 28 underlined in your Bible? Do you? Because if you don't, that's kind of a fail, right? It's sort of after John three sixteen. it's like the summa cum laude. If you ever want to know if somebody's a Bible rookie, just kind of sneak a look at their Bible. If there's nothing marked at Romans 8, 28, that's super lame, okay? That's like no gas in your car. Okay, so Romans 8, 28, second promise. I'm so glad you don't have to be embarrassed. Quick, underline it while no one's looking. I will not doubt. God is always in control. Doubt is the thing that torches everything. Everything that Satan is doing in the world today to attack believers, he is taking an ax to the base of the faith tree. He is trying to create doubt. Doubt torches everything. Like Samson's foxes running through the fields of the Philistines, Doubt torches everything. But I don't have to doubt because what I realize is, is that God is not just with me in this white water. He is, man, man, he knows how to steer. He sees the rock when it's coming. He's in total control. How close is the canoe? Even in level five rapids, he is in control. I'm so glad I'm not in the back of the canoe. God is the one who's steering. God is the one who is in control. And Romans 8, 28 says that he is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him. What's in the news today? What's in the newspaper today? What's in the mailbox today? What's coming through the door with my spouse today? What's Happening when I get a surprise call from one of my children at a time that they would never call. What's coming next? The police are at the door. The tests are in at the doctor and he wants to talk to me. What's coming? I don't know what's coming, but I know this. I will not fear God is always with me. Deuteronomy 31.6. I will not doubt God is always in control. Romans 8.28. Write that right there in your Bible. I will not doubt God is always in control. And then write number three, Psalm 27, 13. Come on, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 27, 13. Psalm 27, 13 is the third of the first five promises. And here's what it says. Just write right there in your Bible. I will not despair. God is always good. God is always good because you're thinking to yourself, well, um, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not alone in the canoe. I'm glad that God is in control and, and, but he's heading over the falls. 
He's going to take me over the falls. If anyone ever told you God won't take you over the falls, they were lying. He will take you right over the falls into something that you would never have believed would even happen in your life, let alone that you would get through it. And so his control doesn't mean that difficult things don't come. His presence with me doesn't mean the difficult things don't come. Here's the third thing. I'm not going to freak, or the term that I've been using is despair. God is always good. And here's the scripture, Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not someday, not eternity, not, not, you know, not after he wipes all the tears away from our eyes. No, 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 no. In this life, on planet firma, walking terra firma, I will see the goodness of God. I will not, so I'm not going to despair. How's it going today? Uh, not good. How's it going this winter? Not great. How's it been going the last year? I don't ever want to do this year again. But I will not despair because God is good. I'm going to see it. Then this, so right, right there, where Psalm 27, 13 is, number three, I will not despair. God is always good. And then right, number four, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, remember, these are categories of promises. And what you can do is you can actually write other references under these because there are many, many, many tens, twenties, thirties, fifties, in some cases, hundreds of examples of these uh, in the Bible, pro- the main promises God has made to his children, reiterated again and again and again. Here it is from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, number four. Write it right in your Bible, y'all. Come on now. Write it right in your Bible. Number four, I will not falter. God is always watching. God is always watching. He has his eye on the thermometer and his hand on the thermostat, someone said. When you walk through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. We we studied that. When you walk through the flames, they will not scorch you. God has his eye on the temperature, on the thermometer, and his hand on the thermostat. He won't let it get too hot. I disagree. I disagree. It's way too hot. It's not over yet. But, but he says, he, I won't be burned. You know, he says in the end, you won't, doesn't say it won't hurt, doesn't say it won't get hot, says you will not be damaged, not long-term, not long-term. I have faith to believe that Calvary Chapel South Bay will be bigger, better, stronger, more in every way that God Almighty measures more. The church is being refined. The church is being strengthened. God is preparing for a new mission. And wherever you are and wherever you're serving God, wherever your house is worship, I hope that your leaders have faith for the very same thing. Better days ahead. Back to the canoe. So he's with us during the winter and spring of 2020. He is in control. His plans for us are good. And then the fourth thing From 1 Corinthians chapter 10, here it is. I will not fail, or pardon me, I will not falter. God is always watching. I will not falter. I'm not going to fall in a way that I can't get up. That's not going to happen. You say, but I just feel like it's too much for me. I just just can't keep taking this whitewater day after day after day. Well, let's read the verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 
13. No temptation, and I explained how that term is temptation or trial. No temptation or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. I know it's really a hard thing to say to people. And I don't say it lightly, but other people are, have lost loved ones. Other people have a very uncertain financial future. Other people are dealing with heartbreak beyond belief. Injustice that just seems to be mounting more and more. I'm not going through anything that other people haven't gone through. Instead of seeking the significance of considering your trial unique, why not embrace the reality that others and others of God's children have gone through the very same thing to a place of victory and he's going to get, this isn't his first time down this river. He's been through these things many times before. And these are the passages that we're in that have satisfied God's people. These are the passages that are tear-stained in, in if faith is a heritage in your family, your great-grandparents were reading these scriptures and getting through the things that they were facing. No trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Say it, say that out loud. Say God is faithful. Say it. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond tempted or tried. He will not let you be tried beyond your ability, beyond what you can handle, beyond what you can endure. Now, you may be able to handle a lot more than you thought. So if as you see the edge of the falls coming and you realize he's going over, just remember, it's more than you've handled before, but it is not your total capacity. Isn't God teaching you what your real capacity is and how his faithfulness meets you right at your max? With the trial, he will also provide the way of escape. The way of escape. I didn't say much about this last time, but the way of escape is the too much and outdoor. And God will give you a way out. When you can't handle it anymore, the phone will ring and you'll have the job you needed. The phone will ring and you'll have the provision you needed. The phone will ring and you will have the test results that you've longed for. You'll hear from someone. You'll see something. You'll settle something. You'll end something. You'll find something. God will make a way. Were we not just singing about the way maker? He makes a way. It's what he does. God has his ways, right? And one of God's ways is to take his children to the max and right then say, here I am, here I am. And in that we find them to be so often, to be, pardon me, to be so awesome. I will not falter. God is always watching the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So here's the last one before we get into the new ones. I will not fail. Are you writing these in your Bible? Write number four. I will not falter. God is always watching. Then underneath it, write Isaiah 54, 17. This is the last one, the one we looked at last time. I will not fail. God is always victorious. I will not fail. God is always victorious. So somewhere between number four, God is always watching. And number five, God is always victorious. That's when we actually go over the falls. Oh my gosh, this is, this is getting the very end and, and, and here we go. And oh my gosh, and over and down and boom. And will I come up to the surface? Yes, I will. Yes, I will. And in the boat and with God. 
Isaiah 54, 17. Listen to me. Turn this in your, write this in your Bible. I will not fail. God is always victorious. God always wins. God always wins. No weapon formed against you will prosper. That means in the end, those who have gone against God's children. How are you with your kids? How are you when somebody goes against your kids? How long does that, does it take for you to make that your issue? I would say not long. Well, don't you think God is only more so with his? God sees everything. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I mean, is that, does that absolutely apply to everything? Well, no, there's other scriptures that qualify it. James 2.13, for example, says that judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. So if in your trial you're unmerciful to other people, you shouldn't expect God to be merciful toward you. But if you are, in fact, as Romans 8 says, those who, are, who love God, who are called according to his purposes, then he is working all things for good, and no weapon formed against you will prosper. It won't win in the end. Well, what will happen in the end? Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. God like, hey, Bill, come here. Just come here for a minute, Bill. I got some people here I want you to kind of talk to. <laughs> I don't know, man. In the presence of God's holiness, I really have a hard time believing we're going to want to be able to condemn the people that injured us. I believe that in the holy gaze of almighty God, knowing our own flaws and faults, will we really have it within us to cast aspersions upon others? Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. You will stand in a place of victory. You will stand at a place of vindication. God himself will declare his point of view and it will make any human judge look like a joke. Reality will be established with finality. Those who doubted you will not doubt you any longer. And those who wondered about you will not wonder any longer. And those who are disappointed with you will not be disappointed any longer because God himself will have set it straight. And on what basis? Not on the basis of our perfection, not on the basis of our entire rightness in anything for who is. The text says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the children of the Lord and their righteousness is from me. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, will be cast into the lake of fire And all of God's children will have the vindication of Christ's righteousness applied to them with perfection and finality. And we will, we will be declared to be all that we have believed that we were in Christ. That's the sense in which their righteousness is from me, declares the Lord. God's purposes will be accomplished. God's enemies will be defeated. God's faithful will be rewarded. His son will be on the throne that he has established forever. Okay, did you write that in your Bible by Isaiah 54, 17? I will not fail. God is always victorious. Well, here comes five more pretty fast. Ready? You've written number five, I will not fail, God is always victorious. Then write six, Joel 2, 25. Here's the five more. Number six, or number one, if you want to count off five more. My confidence, here's my confidence. As I'm going through all this, maybe you have felt during this pandemic time, man, I'm not getting any traction. Man, I'm not moving any forward. I'm spending another week at home. I got to work on my business. I got to build these things. I'm just not making any traction. Well, Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I will send among you. 
So God allows there to be a time when, if you've ever watched those National Geographic specials where they show these locusts that just go like into a field and level it all in certain parts of the world, God does allow a time of devouring. And maybe your career's been devoured. Maybe your 401k's been devoured. Maybe your plans for the future have been devoured. I certainly understand that. But listen, listen, look, look right here. You're not wasting your time. You're not spinning your wheels. Nothing is lost. God promises that he will restore the time that appeared to be lost when his chastening, when his correction was upon us, and we've all needed it. Hebrews chapter 12 says that whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you're without chastening, then you're not even legitimately his children. So we do get chastened by the God who loves us for our good. And remember Hebrews 12 says, we, we had earthly parents who, who disciplined us. I don't know what your dad was like. My dad was, yeah, he was great, but he was kind of like, it kind of depended on the week, how the discipline thing was going, you know? But God is so steady and so solid and always for our good that we might be partakers of his holiness, the scripture says in Hebrews 12. So the fact that God's disciplining us, we're not wasting time. Nothing is lost. Stop saying to yourself that this, these last few weeks, that time is being wasted. It isn't being wasted. Awesome, awesome things are being accomplished in us and God is preparing us for what he still intends to do. So that's the next promise. My confidence, I'm not wasting my time. Then this, my sufficiency. Okay, so um, that was Joel chapter two. Now to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And because I know you're starting to whine a little bit about all the turning, the next one's gonna be in 2 Corinthians 10. I'm gonna give you a little break there, okay? So go ahead and use those fingers and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In fact, write it in Joel 2 before you move. My Joel 2 says, number six, my confidence, I'm not wasting my time. And then it says, number seven, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. So I'm turning there, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And in that passage, you can actually write this at the top of the page, number seven, my sufficiency, I am strong in the Lord. Number seven, my sufficiency, I am strong in the Lord. Second Corinthians 12, nine, of course, this is Paul's thorn in the flesh, verse eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Would you hear this if you've never heard it before, that when we feel most incapable, most unable, most that what we need is inaccessible. God's strength is most available to us. Far from abandoning us during our time of greatest need, God is actually rolling up his sleeves and moving toward us. You say, well, James, we're in pretty rough shape over here. Our company's closing and uh, the jobs of people that we've really cared about are lost. The mortgage is in crisis. Our savings are gone. Are, are, are you, are you kidding me? My, my, my sufficiency's in the Lord. I mean, this isn't a church thing, y'all. This is an economy thing. This isn't a God thing. This is a health thing. Well, if you haven't learned how to connect those yet, maybe that's what's really going on. Nothing is not about faith. Is that a double negative? Everything is always about faith. That's what was shocking 
with Jesus and the disciples. I mean, at one point, they're like, we're, we're, we're all starving here. He's like, you don't have a lot of faith, do you? Then on another day, they're like, we're going down the boat, the storm. We're going down. He's like, yeah, you don't have a lot of faith, do you? I mean, it didn't matter what the crisis was. Jesus observed again and again and again that the gap between where he was living and where they were living was actually a gap between where their faith was at and where his faith, of course, being the one who stills the storms himself. He's the one here who's speaking to Paul. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Bible commentators who never seem to tire of speculation have given us many suggestions. Was it his singleness? Was it lust as he was moving through some pretty dark places in the world where sexual promiscuousness and religion were the exact same thing? Was it um, a loneliness that he felt for his singleness? Was it a, some people in one of the books, I think in Galatians, he talks, see with what a large hand I have written. And some people believe Paul had terrible, terrible eyesight and maybe some significant pain with that. And that's why he had other people always writing, uh, handwriting, an amanuensis, isn't that what it's called? A person who would write the epistle for him. So maybe it was his eyesight. I just, you know, don't know, don't know. Why didn't God tell us? Um, not so we would guess, for sure. Um, he didn't tell us so that we would all read the passage and apply to it the thing where we most feel our weakness. And um, so what's that for you? What's the place where you feel most unable, most incapable? What's the temptation that you struggle most to stand against? What's the heartache that you struggle most to get past? What's the relational difficulty that you struggle most not to fall into? What's the forward thinking pattern that you struggle most not to be debilitated by that would keep you awake in the night? What is it? What is it? Word of God speak. My strength is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So if you're feeling it, if you're feeling it, that's the place he meets you. My sufficiency, I am strong in the Lord. Now, uh, right in the margin of your Bible there, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and we'll go to the third in this second group of five or number eight. Number six, my confidence, I'm not wasting my time, Joel 2, 25, then my sufficiency, I'm strong in the Lord, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Now, right underneath that, before we turn, right, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Number eight, my weapons. This is huge, y'all. I am mighty in battle. Somebody should write me a thank you note for pointing this out to you. If the Spirit's prompting you, send it here to the church. This, I'm kidding. My blessing is just to be able to open God's word with you. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, one page we're turning back, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds. My weapons, I am mighty in battle. You're like, James, I got to have something pretty sick. My paddle's broke, man. 
I got to have something really significant for this white water that we're going through. All right. Mighty in battle. Make a note of these three little sub points. I'll just buzz them pretty quick here. We have weapons. Okay, so we have weapons. Notice it doesn't say in the text, I didn't give you any weapons because I didn't want you to fight. That's not what it says. No, no, we're called to, to fight. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. So, so there is a fight. The Christian life is like a fight. It's a struggle. It's a battle. That's, that's legit. And, and so we have weapons. We have weapons. He doesn't say here we don't have weapons. He says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But we do have weapons. They're just not flesh weapons. So what's your flesh weapon? I'm looking here at my congregation of cameramen. What's, love these guys. You guys are so faithful. Thank you so much. What's your flesh weapon? My flesh weapon is a pride. When I'm in a battle, I just shut down and I just, I just get put up a wall and I'm just like, you're not getting in. Okay. All right. What's, what's, what's your flesh weapon? Uh, my flesh, my flesh weapon is anger. I just get super intense and I raise my voice and I back people off. Okay. I understand that flesh weapon. I have uh, felt the folly of fighting in the flesh, for sure. What's your flesh weapon? Uh, my flesh weapon is withdrawal. I just pull back. I just hide. I just stick my head in the sand. I don't answer my phone. I'm off. I, I pl- unplug from all social media. I am so out of here right now. Okay? All right? Whatever your fleshly inclination is, the way that you would tend to fight. I write letters, man. You should see the letters I write. They're so persuasive. Yeah, how's that going for you? Find a lot of people read your letter and then they run to you and say, I was so wrong. Thank you for explaining everything to me. What an idiot I am. I haven't had that happen very often, have you? What's your flesh weapon? We do have weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Notice... There is a kind of weapon. We have weapons. There is a kind of weapon that always loses. My flesh weapon always loses. If you like to journal, journal about this. Three stories of how my flesh weapon fails. My flesh weapon fails. God makes sure that it fails. If you could get a little bit of progress with your, you're like, I see some people who, man, their flesh weapon always works. Yeah, but they don't have the Lord. And when you made God your partner, you made a deal whereby he's going to win and you're going to win too, but you're not going to win fighting the way you used to fight. We have weapons and a kind of weapon that always loses, but there is a kind of weapon that always wins. Notice in the text, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. They're God weapons. They're God ways of fighting. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds are patterns of thinking that are stubbornly resistant to God's word and to God's will. They're strongholds. And and what are these weapons that are so powerful? Well, the text doesn't say, so I'm not going to say, but I will say, you probably know what it means to lean into the Lord and to get with him 
and to wait on him and not be ahead of him and to trust him and to live in the joy and the rest of knowing that your victory, your vindication, your release, your healing, your provision, it's coming. And the way that you get there is not the flesh way. The way that you get there is the mighty way, the spirit way, the God way. Often, I have wandered from that path and felt the sting of what God forbids. Never have I walked in the path of total dependence upon him and not felt his breath upon my neck and the joy of that partnership and did not our hearts burn within us. That thing of being with God and going forward with God and waiting on God and be okay if it is until next week or next month when he does finally come through because when he does, it is so awesome that it could never really ever be replaced by any other human experience. So my weapons, I am mighty in battle. Second Corinthians 10, four. I've taught on these passages at length. You can go to my James McDonald Ministries website. There's a whole teaching there called Think Differently where I go through this passage at incredible length. I really want to go into verse five that talks about destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But for the sake of this message, I'll leave that there. Ask you to write in your Bible, number eight, my weapons and um, I am mighty in battle. Then right at the bottom, number nine, 2 Thessalonians 1.6. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 1.6. Man, you're making your Bible into a tool, y'all. If you're sticking with me, you're making your Bible into a tool. Not you're a tool. You're making, you're making, I couldn't resist. I, could, I tried, I couldn't. 2 Corinthians, no, no, not you're a, your Bible is a beautiful tool to get to God's promises and to help other people get there too. My vindication, 2 Thessalonians 1.6, my vindication, I'm going to see justice. You say, James, the people that I'm battling with, they're wicked, they're perverse, they're... I understand. Let me just read a little bit here from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know that that word is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, that's the Holy Spirit, uh, will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Text goes on to talk about this lawless one and the activity of Satan and the false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they've refused to love the truth and so be saved. God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. Hey, we're involved in a big battle, y'all. I don't know if you know. Heaven and hell is on the line, and we are involved in a war of intense fury. And so 
I'm sure that's having an impact on you as it is on me. I'm sure that's having an impact on those you love as it is having an impact on those that we love. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, right in there, number nine, my vindication, I am going to see justice. Notice verse six, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Is that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4? The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. This is why where God says in, in, in Romans 12, vengeance is mine, said the Lord, I will repay. God is all about taking care of business for his kids. Trust me on that. Aren't you about taking care of business for your kids if you have them? Trust me, God is all about, God will march right over to that kindergarten. God will march right over to that store. God will, the things that matter, you, you, I, what I'm saying is you know how to do it. Don't you think your father knows how to do it? God is all about taking care of business. And here he says something so shocking, he considers it a righteous thing to repay with tribulation those who are troubling you. If, if you don't get between the hammer and the work. Well, I was going to wait till Friday, but I had to, that's, don't do it. Don't do it. I was just in a conversation today with a man I greatly respect and with very few words, he communicated to me, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't take into your hands what God said he would handle. Can't you just see yourself there ripping the plan out of God's hands? Well, but I need it now. I can't wait any longer. I got to have it clear. I got to. What a bad plan. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Leave it with God. My vindication. I'm going to see justice. In God's time, in God's way. And finally this. And you can't make sense of the Christian life without this final promise. So, write in your Bible there, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, write this final reference. See, do you have it there? My vindication, I'm going to see justice. That's number nine or number four if you're writing two fives. Says Second Thessalonians 1, 6, you're there. Now underneath it, write number five or number 10 as you're choosing to record it. Write Revelation 21, 4, all right? Now just because God does everything perfectly and on time, I'm gonna finish this message perfectly and on time. I have two minutes and 50 seconds and I'm gonna show it to you right here. Revelation 21, 4. In the context, we're talking about the new heaven, the new earth. We're like, if Genesis is back, 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 back to the beginning, then Revelation 24 is right up front at the very end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne, verse 3, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. I mean, how awesome is heaven going to be? God's moving into the neighborhood. He owns the house up the street, and things are going to get a lot better. That's heaven. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear from their eyes? What does that mean? Every tear that we're crying or every tear that we've cried 
The Bible says that he saves our tears in a bottle. Metaphor, uh, maybe, for the fact that God sees every tear, that he knows every heartache. That's what these promises are all about. And the time will come when God will say, all right, just that one now, cork the end. There'll be no more crying here. If you see people in heaven crying, here's a little tip. This will help you in advance. You can be like, you're happy, aren't you? <laughs> like, yeah, like awesome happy. There won't be any sorrow in heaven. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be, check it, there will be no more death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. If you go to the dentist in heaven, it won't hurt. No crying, no pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So many of the things that have made life so difficult and arduous at times, all of it will be gone in heaven. My hope, my hope, my hope. Promise number 10, I am going to heaven someday. We're going to be there. We're going to be there together. And all of this that has seemed so long will seem so short, and we will agree. I am so glad he was the captain of the ship. Everything he did, he did so perfectly. I only wish that I figured it out sooner, and I kind of want to cry about it, but I can't because I'm so happy now. Heaven forever. These are the exceedingly great and precious promises of God. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.